Good morning. Let us say the prayer for guidance together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. The uh, scripture for today is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sandy. There's nothing harder than having five minutes to preach in the first service and now having 30 minutes or so, maybe 25. You can do it. I can do do it. I think I can do it. Because my mind kind of condensed everything. It probably was more a more effective sermon being tight like that. Sometimes it's better to leave some things out. But it does give me a chance to explore this passage a little bit deeper with you and to talk about predestination and election and things that you probably don't think about every day, but that have had a major role in the church in terms of how we interpret scriptures such as this, where it says that you have been predestined from the foundation of the world. And uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit. Then we're going to um, talk about the in Christ, what it means here, continuously saying in Jesus Christ, in him, in Christ, uh, we have these things. And then, uh, and then I just want to talk about how this relates back then into our relationship to God and why Jesus Christ came into the world, why he had to come into the world for us. And so I'm going to start with the, uh, with the predestination thing. Uh, anybody ever hear the term Calvinist? John Calvin, you know, he really embraced uh, what were St. Augustine's teachings around and, and adapted and changed them a little bit but around the idea of if God is sovereign and God is all-powerful, therefore there cannot be anything that we decide or do independent of God. 
So everything has been predetermined in a sense, including uh, you can go into churches today that believe in uh, predestination or double predestination. One saying that God chose Curtis um, and Shirley. Shirley, he chose to be saved, to go to heaven. Curtis, not so good. Okay? <laughs> you know, condemned to eternal damnation. Before he's ever born, breathed the death or breath or, or made a decision in his life. Uh, so that sounds a little bit harsh. And I really don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I don't believe that at all. And there is another view called the Arminian view. I'm going to get real technical. You guys are in theology class here this morning. Arminius was a, was a man who deeply influenced John Wesley with the idea that God gives us free will. If we don't have free will, then when we love God, what kind of God would want to love that did not come of free will? It also makes God sort of a, a more of a slave master. He has already determined for us what our lives are going to be before we ever had a choice. So Arminius came back and said no, and uh, uh, Wesley adapted uh, Arminius's views with a few little variations, but essentially that's, this came down to become known as the Wesleyan view of election or predestination. And obviously that's what the United Methodist Church teaches. That view says that while we all have free will and free choice and may at any time remove ourselves from God, that we can be saved, but we also, somebody has the choice not to be saved. That's a little different from the Baptist view of once saved, always saved, which we aren't going to get deep into that today, but a Baptist view generally says once you are saved, you can't fall from grace. You can't, you can't be lost. And Baptists have an interesting thing where they're kind of a mix of the Wesleyan and the Calvinist views. So they believe, they believe in predestination, but they also sort of back away from it. And some, some churches are hardcore Calvinists, some aren't among the Baptists. It's all over the place. I've read debates online. Many uh, Calvinists out there in the world are very upset that the Wesleyan view has become the dominant view in the world, that most churches, including ones that used to be heavily Calvinist, believed in predestination today, are teaching free will. But when you go to the scriptures, I believe that it definitely tells us that we have a choice to make. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, there was a choice. Adam and Eve in the garden were given a choice. Now, if God had predestined them to eat of the fruit of the tree and to sin and to fall, kind of makes, there's a strange, Calvinists really struggle with that story because it means that God had chosen that they would choose the fruit and sin. And again, what kind of God does this? So it's, it's, it's a, the Calvinist response to that is, well, it's a mystery and it's beyond our understanding. Which, when Lydia says, why didn't you clean the sink? I say, it's a mystery and beyond your understanding. <laughs> okay. It means I don't have an answer for that, so I'll, I'll say that. So, uh, so you have those two dominant views, the Arminian or Wesleyan view, and then you have the Calvinists. Calvinists tend to be uh, Presbyterian. Church is, uh, as well as we get along with Presbyterians, it's funny that we are starkly different in, in, this, uh, in this view and some people may say, well, why is this important? 
Well, it's a little bit important to, to know how God has intervened into our lives and when he intervenes and whether or not he chose for us to be saved or whether or not uh, he has done something else. So let me, I'm just going to read this one verse here and show you how this could be read very differently. I wish I had brought my glasses today. Um, God chose us as Christ, first chapter of Ephesians, and the number, I think it's around the uh, fourth and fifth verses here. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us, and some versions it says predestined us, to be adopted children. So this is the, this is the core thing here. God chose us. So I could look at it this way, and I could say, so God chose Polly, God chose, God chose, God chose. I could go all around the room, and then I could have others say, sorry, you weren't chosen. I could say that. You could do that. That's an individual approach to, tra- to translating this verse, that God chose each of us individually. However, In the first few centuries of the church, they didn't see it that way because they were still so close to the idea of Israel being the chosen people that what they said is that God chose the church. God chose those who placed their faith into Jesus Christ, who were baptized into him. He chose not them individually to become that, but once they were in the church, then God had chosen the church for these riches. God had chosen the church to be adopted children of his. And so it's a basis of where you interpret it as applying to individuals or to the collective, to the whole. And so it's an interesting thing to go through and to study. And uh, one of the, one of the I'll just uh, go back into Matthew for a moment. Uh, there's a parable of the wedding banquet. And you can go all through the Gospels and find examples where God takes people And uh, Jesus tells parables that support this Arminian view of free will, that I have a choice to make, and God allows me to make that choice. It doesn't mean that God isn't acting in my life before that, trying to show me the way. He sent Jesus. He sent the prophets. He has his holy word. There are ways that God is working to allow me to make the right decision. And so his grace is an application in my life. But at the same time, the final decision is mine. But here's a parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Okay, who's the king here? God. God the Father. Who's the son? Jesus Christ. So he's preparing a wedding banquet. Remember in Revelation, the scene is like a wedding banquet when the church is united with the son. Uh, we're called the bride of Christ. That's another term for the church. So the king, um, but this is a parable, so I'm kind of interpreting this a bit here. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a banquet, a wedding banquet for his son. So he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. These servants are the prophets. Okay? God sent his prophets over the centuries to tell people to come. But they refused to come. Do you remember how often in the Old Testament the people rebel against God? They turn to other gods. They stone and they kill the prophets who God has sent to invite them into the wedding banquet, so to speak. But these people refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and said, some more prophets, he's sending them out, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. God is is issuing invitations out to these people. He's, He's not choosing them, forcing them. He's, he's giving them a choice. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Okay, they have other things to do. Does that sound familiar in life? Why people choose not to be part of the church? Why people choose not to follow Jesus Christ? They've got other more important things to do. But some more convenient day, then they'll take it. But the convenient day never comes. We keep delaying and putting off. So these people say, no, I'm too busy. I can't come. So it says the rest of the people seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king, God, was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. We live in an age where God is portrayed as a pretty milk toast. uh, Bend over backward to let us get our will and do whatever, and he'd never lift a finger. But here God is compared to a king who takes vengeance upon those who had killed his servants when he sent them out. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Go out and find anybody. Remember, predestination says that God has already chosen everybody. God knows who they are. But here we have a thing where he just says, go out and get anybody. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests, telling us that the church is filled with the bad and the good. Just because you're in the church doesn't mean you're perfect or even good. Got some pretty rotten apples in the church. Sometimes, Sometimes I'm one of them. And then the king told the attendants, somebody has shown up, and they don't have on the wedding clothes. And the king says, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? But the man could not respond. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, here we have the king choosing people after they have accepted the invitation, not choosing them before they accept the invitation, but after they they are now chosen to be part of the wedding banquet. And those who refused or those who came in and did not accept the wedding clothes. Do you know what it was in those days? If you came to a wedding banquet, they would put wedding clothes upon you. They would have robes and things. They would, you know, white, and it was, it was so you would be properly dressed for the wedding banquet. But this one man, for some reason had refused to put the wedding clothes on. So this is the thing. We might show up in church, but if we don't put on the wedding clothes, if we don't put on Christ in baptism, if we don't put on Christ in faith, then we don't belong. And God will evict us. It may not have, we may go our whole lives coming to church and never know Christ. And so this is a pretty strong illustration here of a God who gives the choice to everybody, gives the invitation out to everybody, and some reject him and some accept him. 
And so this is who we are as a people. We are a people who have been invited to the wedding banquet. And hopefully when we've come in, we've accepted God's conditions. We've accepted what he says we should be, that we should strive to be holy and blameless, that we should strive to be a a holy priesthood, a people who live up to his glory. But too often we reject it. And we do it with callous indifference. We do it with a callous um, insult of God. I cringe sometimes the way I hear people joke about church, which to God is holy, should be a holy thing. I cringe when I hear in media or movies or things where uh, people who are Christians are held up to ridicule. Now, Jesus says this is what's going to happen, that you will be ridiculed, you will be persecuted, you, you know, that this is the way the world will look at you. But God has created the church for a special purpose. And back in Ephesians, in these verses, these are the four things that, that it tells us. This is who we are as the church. We have been chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. This was one of Wesley's great themes. He called people to say, it's not just enough to be in the Church of England and have your name on the rolls, but you must live a holy and blameless life. And you can do it by the grace of God, by his sanctifying grace. He can enable you. And through disciplines and through reading of his word and through prayer, you can grow in Christ. And then your your goal is to go on to perfection. Now, Wesley did not expect to be perfected in this life, nor did he say that he ever knew many people who had been perfected in this life. But this is our heart's desire, is to be like Christ. Not to simply say, well, my name's on the roll and that's good enough, but to have a strong desire. You know, if I'm coaching a football team or a basketball team or any sort of team, uh, first of all, I would be the greatest coach ever. You should hear me in front of the TV. I know exactly what that team should have done. Okay, and I know what the coach should have said. But if I'm coaching a team, you know what I want from that team? Not indifference, not apathy, not an attitude that says, well, whether we win or lose, it's okay. Somebody's got to lose, and maybe next week we'll win. But if not, that's okay. I tell you the truth, I don't have time for practice, and I don't have time for reading the uh, you know, uh, all of our uh, plays and studying the playbook. I, I just don't have time for that, so it's okay. It'll be all right. You know, teams like that, they don't improve. They don't win. They don't fulfill their mission and their goal, their stated purpose of existing is to have victory. But you have to strive for that. Same in the church. God wants us to be a people who go from victory to victory to victory in our lives, who have the experience of overcoming through Jesus Christ in the daily challenges of life. But so many of us are just indifferent and say, well, it doesn't really matter what matters in the end. I'll be be in heaven. That's okay. I'm not going to strive here on this earth. I'm not going to work myself to death for, for things here because I'm just hoping I can scrape by and get into heaven. And that's, a, that's an attitude that is very prevalent also. And it kills the church and it, and it destroys our souls when we live like that. One last thing and, uh, 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 on this chosen to be holy and blameless. Back on the whole thing of uh, are we predestined individually. 
If I were to invite you, let's say six months ago I invited you, uh, we were going to have a, a, a banquet here at the church. And, um, and, you, and you showed up, and we were having fried chicken. You don't like fried chicken, so you come over to me and you say, well, who, who, who made the decision to have fried chicken? Say, well, six months ago, Corky made that decision. <laughs> I wouldn't claim that I made it, but Corky made it over here. That's right. That's right. Six months ago, we made the decision that everybody who showed up at the banquet would have chicken. Okay? We didn't make individual decisions about who was coming to the banquet. The invitation was open to everybody. And when they came to the banquet, we had predetermined, predestined, we would all eat chicken. Everybody who entered into the banquet would be predestined to eat chicken. Fried chicken. Southern fried chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy. Starting to, it's getting close to lunch. I'm starting to get visions coming to me. But you, you see how that relates to the church? This is what God does. He invites us to the church, and we come into the church, and what he has prepared for us is what we receive. This is what he has predestined, that when we come into the church, we are predestined to be saved. We are predestined to be a holy and blameless people. That's what God has predestined. Not who would come in, but that those who do come in would receive these things. So the other, other couple of things here, and I'll wrap up. That we have been ad- become adopted children through Jesus Christ. Everything in here in Ephesians, by the way, in this first chapter, is through or in Jesus Christ. Not, a, not anything happens. Salvation does not happen apart from Jesus Christ. Our adoption into the family of God does not happen apart from Jesus Christ. We are holy and blameless in Christ because of the love of God. You know, all these things are happening because of Jesus Christ. And I have to say, you know, when it comes to arguments about different things, the world is pretty intolerant when there are things that we accept as facts, but somebody... uh, says, well, I believe that nobody has ever landed on the moon, that it was all a government conspiracy. Maybe some of you here this morning believe that. You know, we've had movies made about how they faked the Apollo mission or that the world is flat and if you sail far enough, you're going to fall off it and so forth and so on. We're not very tolerant of people who have these conspiracy sort of theories and these, these beliefs that don't seem to jive with the reality. Well, I've been in God's word for so long and I've lived with Christ for so long I'm not very tolerant when somebody says, you know, all religions are the same. Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, all the same. First of all, that's an insult to Buddha, who would never say that he taught the same as Jesus Christ or came into the world in the same way as Jesus Christ or had the same mission as Jesus Christ. Very different people. Same with Muhammad. The whole whole idea that you take different formulas and come up with the same answer at the end, you know, after the equal sign... You know, if I'm in my math class and I'm adding different numbers, I'm coming up with different sums at the end of it. And it's the same with our faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying and what the Bible teaches is that Jesus Christ alone through him brings us to a different place than any other human being can bring us. That he is unique, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the last thing then that I'll share with you on this is what we've been talking about this morning about in Thailand. You know, most of you know I'm extremely claustrophobic. Uh, I need to live on a peak of a mountain 
where I can see 60 miles into the distance. And uh, it doesn't take much to get me going. Caves terrify me. Tight places terrify me. And this week as I'm watching the video of those boys way back in that cave after they were discovered, I, I felt for them. I thought, there's, do any of those kids, first of all, I'm not sure they would have gotten that far back in if they were claustrophobic, so I'm okay. I, I thought about that. But still just watching it made me queasy. Gave me a little tinge of fear. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you stay in there. I don't know how you come out of there. So I've been thinking about that all week. But then I began to think about my life in Christ and how we live our lives daily. And a lot of folks are suffering in this life. A lot of people uh, can't take this life anymore. It seems like in the news we're hearing more and more about suicides. We're only hearing the ones of the people who are famous. But I know that farmers right now, that their suicide rate is at an all-time high. And then other people are, there's the opioid epidemic. Other people are numbing themselves to this life. So I know I'm not speaking, you know, out of hand. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that is not true. That a lot of people in this world, that life is so hard on them. That they have to be drugged or they have to escape life. Because they can't take it. And I'm thinking about those boys down in that cave, and I'm thinking about how those divers came through going this long, circuitous sort of route to to find them in, in tight places and underwater to find these guys, searching for them, searching. And finally, after nine days, almost ten days, they find them. And I thought about what the Bible tells us about Jesus, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And it talks a lot about in the Bible about the darkness that had overcome the world, and he came to be the light. I'm thinking about those divers coming through and breaking through into that little area where those boys and their coach were, and how they brought light, and they also knew the way back. Those boys needed to be saved, and they needed someone to show them the way. There was no way they would ever make it back on their own. And this is the whole theme of the Bible, that we have lost our way, That we are in the darkness. That we are trapped. And someone needs to come to save us. And God looking down upon us said, I will send my son because he is the only one qualified for this mission. He is the only one who can make it through the, the muddy waters and the twisted paths that we have created by all the turns we have taken in life. You know, over, over a long time, many of us, we, we make so many poor decisions that eventually we come to a place and we don't know how to get back. But that's what Jesus Christ did. He came to get us back. You know, I rejoice that these boys are finding their way out of this cave. But I also know there are many people living in this, this world today who need to find their way out of the darkness of their lives. And only Jesus can do that. And that's what that's what Paul is talking, I mean, uh, yeah, Paul is talking about here in this first chapter of Ephesians. It's only through him that we can receive the good news. That there is a way back to God. Unless it's with Jesus, we will continue to wander deeper and deeper and deeper back into the recesses of our hearts and souls, and it will become darker and darker. I am a sinner. I confess that. I sin. I know this throughout my life. If I had not had Jesus Christ, 
if I had not had him to talk to, to pray to, if I had not had his word to encourage me, my life would be even more of a mess than it is. You know, uh, I told the early service that I'm not, you know, when I say I'm a sinner, uh, I don't think I'm that bad of a sinner in the classic way. We think of people who drink and carouse and, and get into fights all the time, those sorts of things, and do drugs. I, I, that's not how I've done it. I told the early service, I said that, you know, I don't spit and chew or go with girls who do, you know. <laughs> But, you know, there are ways to sin and still appear to be a good person to the world around you. You know, sin is that thing that gets into us. And even to the what look like the best of people in the world, there's something in there that's tearing that person apart and tearing them down. So Jesus saw the predicament we were in. And he did not hesitate to come and to die on that cross for us, to rise from the grave, and he's coming again. And this morning, if you believe that, I invite you to stand and to sing to his praises, to the wondrous love of God. And we're going to sing all the verses here. What what wondrous love is this? We usually sing this for some reason around either Easter or Christmas. But I wanted to sing it this morning, uh, a beautiful song that just is uh, in awe of the love of God, that he would send his son to die for us. Let's stand and sing. We remember uh, that last verse, and when from death I'm free, I'll sing on uh, those who have died recently and uh, honor them, but envy them that they are singing uh, in the the very presence of God to his glorious grace and uh, continue to pray for the families, but rejoice with them. makes my heart happy to know where Wade is and Glenn and Ellen and all those. Uh, Just uh, what a great great uh, victory they have achieved through Jesus Christ. Now as we go into the presence of this world, as a church united in bringing the gospel and the good news that Christ has made his way through the darkness of sin to find us and to lead us back, let us do so with love and grace. Let us do so with hearts humbled by a God who would care enough to adopt us as his children. And let us do so with the truth of his word. Go forth in his name and in his peace. And amen.